from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Whether you're watching Heart of the Matter on the NRB Network, DirecTV, Channel 378, or listening on AM820, The Truth, we welcome you. Heart of the Matter is available anywhere in the world by clicking on www.hotm.tv and click on streaming video. I have some Delightful young people here with us. Anytime they come with their parents to visit the show, we try to start off with them. We have Kulani, Duncan, Lyric, Connor, and Kylie. And uh, they all have something they want to say to you right now. One, two, three. Jesus loves you. Excellent, excellent. Thanks for being on the show, you guys. You can exit. Watch the chords. Watch the chords. How about redeeming the time every Sunday afternoon? How first from 1 to 2 p.m.? Go to AM 820, uh, The Truth, and you can listen to Heart of the Matter replays on the radio on Sunday afternoons. Then join us every week up at the University of Utah for a verse-by-verse -verse Bible study, never denominational. All are invited. Of all things in the ministry, I love to do, love more than anything else, more than doing the program, more than anything else, and that's teaching the word verse by verse. So you're all welcome, no matter who you are. Go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information, uh, and you can go from there. Hey, we want to show you something, so uh, just check this out. We'll talk about it in a minute. We're going to tell you more about that after we uh, talk uh, a little bit, so stay tuned. Uh, you know, there are a few things I would like to do more than uh, expose the talks given by the general authorities at the LDS conference, but uh, because of time, I can't do that this year. Uh, apologies for those of you who want commentary, but you can always call in the show when we open up the phone lines and bring up something that you've seen or heard and want to talk about, and we can talk about it from there. Uh, but until then, um, we got, can't find the time for this year because we have topics we're trying to cover. 
On Sunday, October 17th, 6 p.m., I'll be speaking at Utah Christian Fellowship, uh, located at 4037 Nike Drive, West Jordan. UtahChristian.net for a map or information that will help you out. And with that, let's open up with a word of prayer. Uh, uh, Lord, we come to you humbly. We need you and we seek to uh, serve you. We pray for your spirit to be with us, to open our eyes and hearts, be with our audience wherever they may be, be with our staff, our volunteers, people who help the ministry, and uh, that uh, your spirit will teach us and that we can know truth from error. In Jesus' name, amen. Most things, items, or systems we use in life begin at a sufficient or an acceptable level, and then they progress on to a more advanced or better state as time moves on. You remember we used to have black and white TVs, that's all we had, and now we've progressed into a better system, flat screen, liquid, high-def surround sound entertainment centers. Uh, rigid business models usually transform into better, more flexible, open-ended, dynamic applications that can help businesses meet the demands of higher traffic and a mass appeal. Even parenting skills frequently evolve from beginning as being kind of overly legalistic and strict and regimented uh, with that four that poor first experimental child, and then they become far more loving and patient uh, of an approach with as the younger ones come along. Well, the book of Hebrews, particularly chapter 7, teaches us that Jesus introduced to the world a better way than the Levitical priesthood, which we talked about last week. Just as the Model T was not an extremely comfortable ride, the Mosaic Law was not a very comfortable system with which to travel in for the children of Israel. But it was sufficient and acceptable at the time as it pointed to a better day or a better system coming. When Jesus came, he not only fulfilled the law and the prophets, but shattered all the barriers that stood between man and God and ripping the veil, as it were, by his death, he parked the Model T uh, of the Mosaic Law and introduced a new model to the world, one where he sits in the driver's seat and we are in the back being chauffeured by him. In chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews, the writer is trying to get the Jews to consider a new model. Now imagine that your grandparents go into a television store maybe 10 years ago and they're used to their model. And the television guy says, you know, listen, I, wanna, I want you to consider purchasing a new model. This model actually has a thing called a remote. And, and this has TiVo and this is color and this is flat and it doesn't weigh 7,000 pounds. It's a new model. Consider this. This is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get the Jewish audience to do. You've had the Levitical priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood. I want you to consider a new model. This was not an easy thing for the early Christian Jews to embrace. And we see in scripture that many of them sought to return from Christianity to return to embracing that Model T, uh, finding the luxurious grace of sitting in the back and having Jesus drive far too discomforting for him. The book of Hebrews was written to the, to the Christian Jews to help them understand this transition. It teaches that Jesus is the better way, relationship is the better way, and the promised Messiah offers an eternal and unchanging covenant 
because this covenant, this new covenant, this new testament is based on him and his righteousness and the works he did and not on the righteous works of someone else. Now, chapter one of Hebrews teaches, among other things, the fact that Jesus is a better uh, model than angels. And chapter three teaches that Jesus is better than Moses. Chapter four teaches that Jesus is better than the Old Testament priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, which we discussed last week. Then chapter five, in chapter five, the writer of Hebrews mentions a very mysterious person's name, Melchizedek. Going back to the book of Genesis, after Abraham and Lot parted company, they, what happened was there was a confederation of five kings and they conquered an area that Lot lived in and so uh, they took Lot captive and uh, they spoiled several cities and took all the booty with them. That's what these five kings. Well, Abraham heard about this, that Lot was taken captive and these cities were spoiled by these guys. And so he got his servants together and he went out against these five kings and he slaughtered them. And he took from them the spoils that they had taken from other cities. Well, as Abraham was returning with the spoils, there came to him this biblical character named uh, Melchizedek. And this is all from the Old Testament and we only read of him twice. This is the first time he's mentioned and it's, and it's the first uh, of only two times. Genesis 14, chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 18. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. And he was the priest of the most high God. And he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And Abraham gave him tithes of all. So there is one only other reference of that name Melchizedek in the Old Testament. And we'll get to that in a minute. Now, as he was accustomed to do, it seems that whenever there was a mystery or a questionable thing or something that really couldn't be explained in the Bible, Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism, would take it and he would offer some far-fetched, extra-biblical, meaning outside of the Bible, explanation of its meaning. Consider what he said about John uh, the Beloved and the three Nephites never dying, but they live on this earth even to our day. Uh, what about Enoch? We know from the Bible that he was translated, but little else. But Joseph Smith taught that not only was he translated, translated but a whole city was translated uh, and carried his namesake too. Uh, Cain in Mormon lore was not only the father of the cursed black race, according to Mormonism, but Mormons claimed he was to never die, leading some LDS to claim that he wanders around today as Sasquatch or Bigfoot. So Joseph Smith even taught how to tell the difference with handshakes between spirit devils and angels. Okay, so if there was a mystery or an uncertainty in the text of the Bible, Joseph addressed it, expanded upon it, and then called it restored or revealed truth. Well, there is perhaps nothing uh, Joseph Smith misappropriated more than the role and meaning behind this biblical character named Melchizedek. All right. Last week, we covered Joseph Smith's total misapplication of the Aaronic priesthood to the LDS church today. Well, according to a very suspect timeline, 
You should read Grant Palmer's book, An Insider's View of Mormon Origins, about the Melchizedek Priesthood. He's a Latter-day Saint who just gave us the facts in that book, and you will be astounded to realize that there was no restoration of a Melchizedek Priesthood but from Grant Palmer's work. But anyway, in this very suspect, recreated timeline, somewhere between May of 1829 and June of the same year, Joseph Smith said the apostles Peter, James, and John made a visit to him and restored what he deemed the Melchizedek Priesthood to the earth. Now, Doctrine and Covenants 84, 19 through 22 reads, And this greater priesthood administereth the gospel and holdeth the keys of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the keys of the knowledge of God. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of God is manifest. Listen, and without the ordinances of the Melchizedek priesthood thereof and the authority of the priesthood and the the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. For without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. End quote. Deceased LDS apostle Bruce R. McConkie said, quote, The presence or absence of this priesthood, Melchizedek priesthood, establishes the divinity or falsity of a professing church. Okay. In other words, he's saying if there is no Melchizedek priesthood in a church, it is false. If there is a Melchizedek priesthood in a church, it is true, divine. He adds, quote, if there is no Melchizedek priesthood on earth, the true church is not here and the gospel of Christ is not available to men. Where the Melchizedek priesthood is, there is the kingdom, the church, and the fullness of the gospel. Now, I must admit that without any scriptural backing, all this can sort of seem to make some sense. I mean, there was a Levitical priesthood, Aaronic priesthood, and there was or there is a Melchizedek priest, okay? It would only seem natural that they would still be doing what they do, right? Why not go along with it? To truly do justice to the subject, we need to read the book of Hebrews, chapter, the whole book, but really chapters uh, 5, 6, and 7, verse by verse, especially verse uh, chapter 7, but there's not enough time. So tonight I'm going to give you a thumbnail sketch. I'm going to give you little portraits to what the Mormons claim Melchizedek priesthood is and what the Bible tells us Melchizedek was. All right, you ready? Latter-day Saints believe Melchizedek was literally a man who held a priesthood which was passed down from Adam. Some suggest that he was Seth or Shem, Seth, Seth. Simply put, they liken it to a higher priesthood with the Aaronic priesthood being a lesser priesthood. Now Mormonism teaches that the name of this priesthood is God's priesthood, but that the name Melchizedek was given to this higher priesthood to avoid the frequent uh, repetition of deity. That's in Doctrine and Covenants 107. Additionally, the Book of Mormon teaches that the man Melchizedek was the greatest high priest ever. That's in Alma 13. Mormonism also teaches that the Melchizedek priesthood was called an everlasting or eternal priesthood because God has always operated by it, therefore it is everlasting. Apostle McConkie, that while this higher priesthood was first given to Adam and then passed down generationally, the, quote, children of Israel rebelled and rejected the higher law, the Melchizedek priesthood, and God took the fullness of the priesthood from them. So he's saying it was lost. 
As a result, the Aaronic priesthood or Levitical priesthood became the authority on earth until Jesus came, who brought the restoration of this higher priesthood with him, and then he passed it on to his 12 apostles, okay? Then Mormons teach that this Melchizedek priesthood was lost from the earth with the death of the last apostle and was out of operation until Joseph Smith restored it to the earth in 1830 when he said Peter, James, and John appeared at some unknown date at some unknown place and gave it to him. Now, Mormon doctrine also states that now the LDS Church is the only religion on the face of this earth that has this power of God, this Melchizedek priesthood. And today, Mormons claim to give this priesthood to men 18 years of age and up who are worthy to receive it. So let's take a contextual look at the Bible and what it says about Melchizedek, his person, and his priesthood. This is the Christian view, okay? When we read in the Old Testament, just as some uh, foreground, it's vital to understand types. And a type is a figure or a representation of something to come, right? Last week, we explained how everything they did in the Levitical or Aaronic priesthood in the Old Testament was a type for Christ. There are other examples or types. Israel in bondage to Egypt was a type for sin, our bondage to sin. Moses was a type for the coming Messiah. The Exodus was a type for leaving the world behind and entering into the promised land was a type for entering into a relationship with Christ. The Passover lamb was a type for the shed blood of Jesus. Manna from heaven, Jesus the bread from heaven. Water from the rock, Jesus the living water. Leprosy, a type for sin. We know reading the New Testament that Jesus is both 100% man and 100% God. The fullness of God dwelling in a mortal man. Is there a type for this in the Old Testament? There certainly is. The Ark of the Covenant. Listen to what it says in Exodus 25, 10 through 11. It says, And they shall make an ark of acacia wood, and you shall overlay it with pure gold. You shall overlay it inside and out and make on it a crown of gold all around. So acacia wood is gnarly and thorny, representing human beings. But gold was pure and costly, representing God. The ark was wood. The ark was gold. Jesus was man. Jesus was God. These types go on and on and on through the Old Testament. So who was Melchizedek? We know so little about him, but listen. What we do know paints a perfect picture of who he was, all right? In Genesis 14, 18 through 20, we learn that one, Melchizedek was king of Salem. Two, he brought forth bread and wine to Abraham after the battle. Three, he was a high priest of the Most High God. Four, Abraham paid tithes from the spoils uh, from the warfare to Melchizedek. And then we learn in a messianic psalm that uh, David wrote, the Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Then we jump all the way to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament where the writer gives more details about Melchizedek saying he was without father, without mother, without descent, having neither the beginning of days nor the end of life, but, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest continually. So these points 
one by one explain who Melchizedek was. I want to go through them and we'll take the point and we'll talk about it and then we'll go to the phones. Okay, you ready? The first one. Melchizedek was king of Salem. Okay? Melchizedek was king of Salem. Melchizedek's name in Hebrew is Malki Tezdek. Yeah. Tesedek. Malki Tesedek, sorry. Which means righteous king or my righteous king. From his name, we can see that this Melchizedek had a pure and righteous administration of government. And he was the only righteous king there. Okay? He was also known not only as a righteous king, but a king of Salem, which means king of peace. So he was a righteous king and a king of peace. You got that? Who was this Melchizedek? Hmm. Let's think. Now, where was Salem? Massachusetts? No. Have you ever heard of Jerusalem? Okay, that's where it was. That was Salem. It became Jerusalem. And that's where Melchizedek reigned prior, and he was a contemporary of Abraham. Now listen, speaking of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, Psalm 76 says, In Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. So there it points out. You got that? The next point, number two. And this Melchizedek brought forth bread and wine to Abraham after the battle. This type called Melchizedek brought uh, what to uh, Abraham, who was the father of the nation? The very same elements Jesus introduced to the uh, apostles as a memorial elements for himself to uh, typify his sacrifice for sin. Bread and wine, same exact things. Hmm, who was this Melchizedek? Okay, next, Genesis tells us that he was a priest after the Most High God. Hebrews 7 helps us understand that Melchizedek was a type. The purpose of the priesthood, Aaronic priesthood, folks, was to make intercession, to unite man, the children of Israel, and God through reconciliation wrought by blood through the shed of animals. You see, we know that in the Levitical priesthood, a high priest from the line of Aaron would once a year, okay, he would enter into the Holy of Holy chamber of the tabernacle and he would offer the shed blood of an unblemished animal for the atonement of sin. Now, the word atonement in Hebrew means covering. It does not have the same implication as it does in the New Testament, which means payment of. It meant just covering, okay? Being a mere man, this Levitical high priest would have to first have his own sins atoned for through all those washing rituals and everything that they would do. Then he would enter into the most sacred place uh, as the high priest once a year on behalf of the people. But these mortal high priests would die and they had to be replaced by more mortal high priests who had sin that needed to have those sins covered for. And it was this, this revolving door of high priests because they were mortal men. And then they would only go in once a year to do their work, year in and year out. Well, the book of Hebrews points out that another high priest is coming. And he is coming, and the purpose is to make intercession, to unite God and man through reconciliation through blood. And this is uh, 
he is after the order of this mysterious man named Melchizedek. And he's offering a better way. And he would enter once and for all into the heavenly holy of holies. And he would offer his own shed blood forever, not once a year, but forever and always, always being our only high priest who does this work for us now. The Aaronic priesthood high priest was a type for what would happen when Jesus came and did the ultimate work himself after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the, the, the tabernacle had specific, um, very specific measurements on which it had to be constructed. Now, why do you think that was? You read Leviticus, you get bored. But if you realize that what's happening there is God is having them make this tabernacle a scale model of what the heavens will look like. And the heavens hold a holy of holies. That is where God dwells. And what this type is for Melchizedek is that where the old uh, uh, high priests of Aaron would go in every year and they'd have to clean and they have to do all this stuff, this new, better high priest to consider came in once and for all and lives in the heavenly holy of holies with God, making intercession on our behalf as his children. All right? Who was this Melchizedek? The fourth point, as we know, is that Abraham paid tithes to uh, this Melchizedek. So even Father Abraham paid tithes to him well before the tithes were demanded. What was the purpose of this? Abraham was certainly at the top of the heap in authority, wasn't he? Listen to this. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 sons, okay? All of Israel paid their tithes to support the priests of the Aaronic priesthood who lived off the tithes that were given to the temple, okay? All of Abraham's lineage paid their tithes and those high priests from the line of Aaron and from the Levitical priesthood lived off those tithes, all right? Guess what? This writer of Hebrews goes back and says, that may be true, but where it all started from, Abraham, he paid tithes to Melchizedek. That's how big of a figure this Melchizedek was, that even Abraham paid tithes to him where all of Abraham's kids uh, paid tithes to the Aaronic priesthood. Do you understand that? How big of a figure this Melchizedek was? And when Jesus was in a heated dialogue with the Jews, consider this in John chapter 8. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Now, where do we read anywhere when Abraham saw his day? He was promised, but when did Abraham see him? When did he see his day? And the Jews said unto him, Thou art not yet 50 years old, and thou hast seen Abraham? Come on. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Now we understand that means he was God, but we can also interpret that Abraham did see and rejoice to see his day through this person named Melchizedek who showed up and was a mystery from the beginning. Are you beginning to see who Melchizedek was? Then over a thousand years later, a thousand years, there's no mention. There's one mention in Genesis of Melchizedek. We go a thousand years and we come to Psalms 110. Psalms 110 is a messianic psalm. It's David talking about Jesus Christ, okay? And in Psalm 110, David says, the Lord has sworn and will not repent, will not change his mind. Thou, Jesus, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
Now, the Aaronic order was established on the righteousness and purity of men, mortal men officiating on behalf of Israel. But the Messiah, who was from the tribe of Judah, would take his place as the only true and living high priest. And the Lord swore through David that this high priest, Jesus, would hold this place forever in the Holy of Holies on our behalf. Because in the Old Testament, we have a, we have a covenant based on men's worthiness, and that was a transition, transitionary priesthood. But with Jesus, because it's based on his righteousness, it is a forever priesthood. Finally, describing this mysterious Melchizedek in even gre greater detail, the writer of Hebrews, a thousand years later, wrote this. He was without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest continually. You've got to think here because it's worth the payoff. If Melchizedek was a real person, did he really not have a father or a mother? Did he really not have descendants? Was he really a man without a beginning or an end? It's impossible. So we have two options here regarding the person of Melchizedek. Either he was a real human being and the writer of Hebrews left his personal information out and painted him as though he had no beginning or end, had no father or mother, or Melchizedek was Christ himself, called a Christophany. Christ pre-incarnate showing up, revealing himself in the Old Testament times, and, uh, and that is exactly what I believe um, he was, without father without mother, without descent. This is Jesus' holy life. N neither without beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of Man, he remains a priest continually. Okay? Who else could this describe, my friends, but Jesus Christ? Uncreated God. He was without father and mother in terms of he was uncreated spiritually. He was without descendancy. He came, he was always, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh. This was Jesus, who had no beginning of days and no end of life, but was made like the Son of God, and he remains a high priest continually. Let's wrap this up by letting the Holy Word of God reiterate what we have already discovered about Melchizedek, being nothing more than a type for the Lord Jesus Christ, even Christ himself. Listen. The writer of Hebrews has been talking about Aaronic priests. And in Hebrews 7, 22 through 27, he states, ready? By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And there truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood, meaning a priesthood that's not passed down. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest came to us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those first high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Uh, my friends, Jesus is our only 
one and only high priest. He and he alone represents us before the Father in the heavenly holy of holies. This everlasting and eternal uh, righteousness required is based on him and not on us. But you know what? We're going to end with a quote of what the LDS have done. They have said he, this Melchizedek was a man and he had a priesthood. And that priesthood is something that men now hold and they have to be worthy and righteous to hold it and to do it. And they are replacing themselves. They are taking our high priest and they're putting themselves in his place. They are making themselves like Christ. They think they're making intercession. It's unbelievable the blasphemy that this is of this Melchizedek priesthood. I believe it is a demonic order to tell you the truth. It is a horrible thing because Christ is the only high priest. Let's read what the LDS say about it. You ready? And we'll end with this. When worthy men receive the Melchizedek priesthood, they enter into a covenant relationship with the Lord. They covenant that in faithfulness and obedience, they will magnify their priesthood callings, that is, wholeheartedly honor and fulfill their stewardships. By keeping this covenant, the priesthood holder receives the oath of the Father, which leads to receiving the Father's kingdom and all that the Father has. Those who violate or break this covenant and altogether turn from it shall not have forgiveness of sins in this world nor in the world to come. Repent, you holders of a false black priesthood. Repent of your sins and repent of something that Jesus shed blood uh, forever abolished. He is the true king of Salem. Repent and come to the only high priest, Jesus Christ. Let's open up the phones, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. First time callers, if possible, LDS callers preferred. Turn down your television sets. We're going to go to your calls really quick, but let me introduce something we're very personally excited about. Aletheia Ministries has always been pro-Israel. If you're not, turn the channel because you should be. And Israel is God's covenant people and forever will be, and he will keep all of his promises to them. We, in fact, we have been so pro-Israel that since we founded the ministry, we have donated uh, financially to the nation of Israel. Now, you are also aware that our costs in the ministry have gone up. So it's been on our heart, God, what should we do? And he stepped in with something we firmly believe is a win-win for all involved. For years, I have had an acquaintance with a man from Jerusalem named Eric. And over the course of time, uh, we became better friends. And then he introduced me to Erez, also from Jerusalem. And Eric, is, Erez, Eric and Erez import beautiful, handmade, olive wood uh, artifacts from Jerusalem. Everything that we show is from Jerusalem. And from this relationship, Heart of Israel was born. That's what you saw when the show began. Let's take another 30-second look. how it works. You go to www.hotm.tv and if you find something that you like, 
That's certified product made in Israel, and you buy it through our secured website. And then Heart for Israel ships these products to you uh, within four to six weeks, and they really make exquisite and unique gifts. Why this approach? The nation of Israel and the citizens thereof benefit from the commerce. You receive these gorgeous items that we have on stock here in the U.S. at prices that we guarantee will uh, not be available to anyone else in the world. And then Heart for Israel has chosen to donate 33% of all net profits to Aletheia Ministries uh, for our efforts on their behalf. It's a win-win-win for all involved. Right now, we're showing only 10 or so items. We're going to continually add new items on the site, so keep checking it out. And go to HOTM to see if there's anything you think is uh, worthy of purchasing. It will support Aletheia Ministries, and it's a way that you get something in return for your support, and we think we're giving you a really good value. We have to do things like this to stay in, and we think this is something that uh, benefits people that we love and support all the way. Okay, we are going to go to the phone. Uh, we're going to Ed in Salt Lake City, first-time caller, and he is LDS. Ed, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Ed? No, this is Amelia. It's, uh, we're having a problem with the phones. Can you hear me? I can barely hear you. Shall I switch to oh, another I can hear phone? You now. Are we on the air now? Wait, I heard you a minute ago. Try it again. Keep talking. Well, listen, let me jump up and switch phones. No, no, you're good. Go really? ahead. Okay. Are, am I on the air? You're on the air. Oh, uh, I have a brother who told me that Melchizedek wasn't born and didn't die, and you did just kick up the scripture that I think you probably was reading from. Yeah. I'm also curious about what he told me that in the Pearl of Great Price, there's a uh, something about the city of Enoch yeah. that disappeared, you know, Enoch, Zion was not, or whatever, and that uh, some people call this the process of translation, and I'm wondering... Um, that's question one, what you think of that viewpoint. And let's see, number two was, I I may have missed it, but did you give support for your belief that Christ was Melchizedek? If I missed it, I apologize. Yeah, we gave we gave supports as to why I believe that Christ was, uh, that Melchizedek was a uh, <coughs> Christophany of him. And so you can watch the show again and see that. In terms of the, uh, did you just shoot me that scripture real quick? Please forgive me. Yeah, I did. I did read that scripture. It comes from uh, Hebrews chapter seven. Oh, thank you, thank you. I'm sorry yeah. to make you repeat yourself. No, I, that's I okay. And then also, uh, my thoughts on Joseph Smith's city of Enoch and the Pearl of Great Price. It's pure fiction, like almost everything else that he came up with. Well, I read it all as if it's fiction. Yeah. <laughs> everything, yeah. and and if an idea pops, I say, oh, I wonder about that. You know, yeah. because. I'm eclectic. I, I don't <coughs> have a whole lot of beliefs. But, Sean, thank you very much, and I love your show. I'm so grateful to you for opening up these subjects. Thanks so much for calling. Thank you. Okay, Amelia, bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Ed, He's LDS, first-time caller. Ed, you're on Heart of the Matter. Ed? Darn. We're going to Manuel in Palmdale, California, first-time caller and LDS. Manuel, you're on the air. Yeah. Really? Really. Is this Sean? It is. <laughs> How you doing, my brother? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Well, uh, you know, I'm calling in. I don't know if you remember me, but I sent you an email like almost a week ago. 
and you responded to me. I'm from California, Pondo. Yeah, how you doing? Good, good. You know, I, I was just uh, calling you to let you know that, uh, you know, well, first of all, let me give a little background on myself. Well, uh, like I mentioned in the email, I've been a uh, part of the LDS church for seven months now. Okay. And, uh, well, before I joined the church, I already knew pretty much everything about Mormonism. Uh-huh. But uh, I wanted to find out for myself if the things I was uh, studying and uh, researching were actually true or not. And in these past seven months, well, it's, it's totally true. And I really appreciate your ministry along with uh, Utah Lighthouse Ministry because you guys yeah. have really given me so much information on Mormonism, which has already uh, given me the spirit to finally leave this church and I'm planning on leaving like most likely in the beginning of, of next year. Praise God, man. That's really good. Are you going to go to a good Christian church thereafter? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, I've been uh, looking online right here at my local churches right here and there's a non-denominational Christian church here so I'm planning to attend there. Very good. Well, yeah, appreciate you watching, Manuel. Alrighty, Sean and you know, just uh, keep up the work you're doing, brother, and I'm I'm pretty sure you're going to help many other people like you did to me. Well, God willing. Thanks so much, my brother. Take care. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, we're going to go to Avery uh, in Provo, then Bernie in Salt Lake City. Avery, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, really? Really? Awesome. Sean, you're, uh, this is Sean, right? Yeah. All right, cool. You're doing a great thing. I'm 14. I don't know. Without you, I would never have gotten out of Mormonism. Wow. How did you, you get out? Me a lot. How did you get? How did you get out as a 14-year-old, uh, Avery? Well, uh, about two years ago, when I was 12, I started listening to your show, and it was. I was at first like astounded. And I was like really appalled by what I heard, and I couldn't believe any of this. But then I, my eyes started to open, and. I'm a born-again Mormon, I'm, uh, and it's a great feeling, and awesome. I really love you, and I thank you for everything you've done for me. Oh, well, it's, it's my pleasure, and it's all in the service of God, and you'll be doing the same thing, my brother. Hey, I got a question for you. Yeah. What, how are your parents regarding what you've done, and then are you doing anything with your faith now in terms of church? Uh, well, it was so hard to tell my parents. I told my mom and she was crying of course and it was really hard and my dad was also really like not ashamed but he's disappointed and it was probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life I can it leaving the Mormon church is like so incredibly difficult yeah uh and in terms of church um I'm thinking I've gone to this one Baptist church for a while now uh -huh. and I really like the things I'm hearing uh good looking around at other places too it's really great but great. i just have one question if that's okay yes please uh me and my dad still go back and forth every now and again with the mormon kind of things and uh the masonic temple rites correct uh he told me that they originate from a temple in israel or something that joseph smith just restored those and i don't know i haven't been able to combat that in any way well uh is it restored from like this Israel thing or? No, Avery. Um, 
masonry they think started 1700s 1800s 1600s 1500s what when dave when are you saying some say 1701 there it's a mystery as to when it started but it certainly did not start with ancient israel okay and it's there's a whole myth a whole myth that the masons have built up to give themselves legitimacy and so they tied it into solomon building his temple way way back uh, in the old testament times but it's all myth and if you study and you and you read books about it of people who have been masons people who are experts in masonry, you will see that it's just a big history of myth and that it really started up as a fraternal organization to protect uh, workmen's skills when they were building the cathedrals in Europe. So uh, bottom line, your dad is using a myth to support the idea that Joseph Smith restored what they did in Solomon's temple back in, uh, uh, to the earth today. But I got to tell you, you ask any Jew what goes on in the temple. You can open up the Bible and read exactly what goes on in the temple. If you read uh, uh, Exodus and Leviticus, you can read exactly what goes on. And nothing of it replicates what uh, Joseph Smith said was going on uh, in the temple back then. So your dad is, I'm sorry, sorely mistaken, unless you want to believe that Joseph Smith restored all these things and, and we don't have any proof for it, you know? All right, thanks. Hey, Avery. Yep. You're a brave young man. I salute you. I salute nobody, but I salute you. Uh, thanks. You're welcome. I salute you brother. more. Keep going. Is any more, uh, Mormons out there who think I am young and youthful and stupid, research it for yourself. UTLM.org is great. It helped me a lot. Awesome. And hopefully you'll be able to see the truth and glory of God. Good job, Avery. God bless you, my brother. You too. Bye-bye. That, that, you just can't pay for that. That's just awesome. We're going to Bernie in Salt Lake City. Bernie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi, Sean. Hi. First of all, um, are you, do you have the beard because of the deer hunting season? You know, I, that's exactly why I grew this beard. <laughs> because you're such a handsome man, I thought, why has he got this beard on him? And that's the only thing I could... Uh, Don't you think I'm <laughs> handsome with the beard? You're handsome without the beard. You are. Is this, anyway, Mom, is this you? <laughs> anyway, my second issue is all it's the uh, controversy on the gays in the LDS church. Yeah. And all the the, the uh, uh, write-ups in the Tribune newspaper. I want to know what your views are on there. My view is um, that they are born that way. I don't feel that you can turn into a gay after you're born mm. because of, you know, I just don't feel, I think you're born that way. Mm. Just, just let me know what your feelings are because, um, I just want to know. I will. Do you want to hang up and let me let it, other callers come in and just listen? Yes, I do. Thanks, Bernie. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. These are my thoughts. They're just my thoughts used with the Bible. Okay. We are all born in a, in a sinful world. Some people are born uh, with propensities toward homosexuality. Some people may be born homosexual. Some people are not born homosexual who I believe choose it. I believe any of those options are available. Now, some people say, oh, that's terrible. You can't say they're born that way. I, I say, you know, I was born a certain way too, which is not necessarily pleasant to God. And we were just talking earlier, if a baby 
had a full-grown body but still the mentality of a baby, it would destroy its crib and destroy everybody it could get a hold of. We're just creatures when we're born. We're, we're not really nice when we're born. We have to learn. You don't have to train someone to lie. They lie automatically. We have natures when we're born, and those natures are all the product of the fall. They are not God making people this way. It's because sin was brought into this world, and we have genetic twists, and we have all kinds of stuff going on. Hermaphrodites, dogs and cats living together. It's a nightmare, right? So Jesus comes, and he says, I'm going to save you from sin, and this is how it works. I am going to live a perfect life, and you're going to believe on me. And then once you believe on me, I'm going to help you overcome your sinful propensities, okay? And my blood is going to cover you from the sins of the fall and from the sins you commit. And then you're going to believe on me and I'm going to help you through your life. I think that the Christian church has made a mistake in focusing on homosexuality as the whipping sin of sins. Now, the homosexuals in some ways deserve it because they're out there trying to legitimize it. They're trying to go out and say, it's, it's not a sin, it's okay. I believe in the Bible, so I believe homosexuality is a sin. However, I believe gossiping is a sin, and lying, and adultery, and, and, and lust, and meanness, and all those things are sins too. So I believe the homosexual has the right and really has the obligation to sit in the pew right next to me and to find out who Jesus is and what that blood he shed for can do for them. And then once they realize that they are safe, it's up to him and their relationship with, and his relationship or her relationship with Christ to figure out how he's going to lead and work them through this thing that they're born with. Because let me tell you something. I have a natural propensity toward anger. I've been a Christian for 10 years now. And, and yet, if someone does the right thing on the road, I still go to that propensity. I still fail sometimes in that propensity. And so we cannot expect people to have perfection. Jesus was perfect. So we need to, I believe, invite and receive and, and love all people homosexuals included, into the church and to help them understand who Jesus is. I think the LDS church has made the typical mistake of religions where they want to orchestrate and govern the world. And Mormonism has made it their, their cause celebre to go in and cause uh, homosexuality to, to, to focus on it, to be the great moral leaders. And I think that has no place in religion. In religion, our thing is to share Christ. Now, if people want to get involved politically and they want to do those things on their own, fine. Christian, Jew, Muslim, Mormon, whatever, fine. But as a religion, I just don't believe in it. I think as a religion, our purpose is to share Christ with sinners. Okay? So that's my position, and I hope uh, I don't get hurt for it. Uh, <laughs> let's go to Dan on line three. Dan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Got a question for you about the uh, reincarnation in the Bible. This Melchizedek subject has kind of got me thinking. There are other scriptures that refer to kind of in a way of uh, incarnation of, of people. Um, for instance, a scripture in the New Testament where they ask, "Why is this girl blind?" And Jesus, you know, was it was it her her parents who have sinned that this person is blind? And Jesus said regardless of who it is, of why it happened, she is blind and let's help her. Um, there's other scriptures too. Do, what's a, uh, the, what do you think about reincarnation in the Bible? Okay, um, first, Dan, when the, uh, when the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, was this man born blind uh, because his parents sinned or because he sinned, right? The, yeah. the Jews were under the false impression which carried over from the Greeks. Now, remember, the Greeks were 400 years before Christ, and we're talking about classic Greek. And they believed in a, a, a pre-existence. 
And so those fables carried over into the Jewish uh, mindset. And they positioned Jesus and they said, hey, who did this? And Jesus' answer was, um, hey, look, at, it was for the glory of God that this man was born blind. And then he heals him. They believed in a thing called the transmigration of souls. And that was where one soul would leap to another and, and, and at death. Uh, uh, Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard's Scientology teaches the very same thing today. So these things have been long existent and probably even predated Hellenistic thought. But listen to this. Jesus said, I am from above, you are from beneath. There, there was no pre-existence. Uh, in fact, this is a perfect commercial for next week's show, Pre-Existence, and we'll really cover this. But let me say this. In the Bible, we have instances where angels of the Lord are thought to have been Christ, where there's Christophanies of his appearance. Now, you say reincarnation. You have to remember that these were not tangible flesh and blood beings. They were in the appearance of men, just like uh, at Sodom and Gomorrah when the angels came. But they were not flesh and blood beings they, because that would make them incarnate. And if they died and then they reincarnated, that would mean reincarnation was true. But when they made appearances in the Old Testament, they were spiritual beings in the form of man. And then Jesus was not reincarnated. He was incarnated when he became a man for the first and last time. Does that help? So when he was Melchizedek, was he a man? I guess is my only... He was, he was a pre-incarnate vision of Christ. Okay, so a vision. King I of righteousness, um, yeah. Angel, okay. you could call him. They call him the angel of the Lord. Okay, I just have one other quick topic here. I, I, what's the difference, would you say, between a Catholic priesthood and a Mormon priesthood as far as one being worse than the other? Wouldn't they both be a... In the book of Revelation... Priesthood? Jesus goes through, the se goes through the seven churches. And when he comes to one church, I can't remember what it was, it may have been Sardis, he says they, are, they do the practice of the Nicolaitines. And what that is, is when men, the laity, the Latines, the Nicolaitines, when they put a man in between God and the individual. And Jesus said, and this thing I hate, the doctrine of the Nicolaitines where you have a priest who's in between you and God. That's what Jesus came for, to tear that veil down so there yeah, was no sense. need for the high priest anymore. It and makes sense. I just, I thought Melchizedek being the actual king of a place, going back to that, I just, I, I picture a man and not an angel, I guess, if you're a literal king of Salem, that it would be a flesh and blood person, but I, I, don't, I don't know. That's just where... King of yeah, righteousness, king of peace. The, the Salem was king of peace, king of Jerusalem. That's Jesus. And okay. all the other things, without beginning of days, without father or mother, all Jesus, if you look at it spiritually. Okay, that makes sense. All right, thank my you. brother. All right. Thanks for Bye. calling. Bye-bye. Yeah, thank you. Okay, God bless. We're going to Jane in Utah, first-time caller. i got to tell you something. When the show first started for the first year, we had the Christians just go nuts when I would end calls with, see you, my brother. Thanks for calling, my brother. They would write, they are not your brother. They are not their brother until they're born again. I want to tell you something. Scripture talks about something called the brotherhood of man. We are all brothers and sisters in our flesh. We come from the same Adam and Eve. We are brothers and sisters in the flesh. So when I call him my brother, I call him my brother in the fleshly sense. When I meet a Christian and I sign something and I write to my true sister or my true brother, that's to a Christian. You see the difference? So stop being so dogmatic. Pecky little people. All right, let's go to Jane. Jane, you're on Heart of the Matter. 
Hi there. Good to hear from you. Good to hear from um, you. <laughs> thank you. Um, I just wanted to uh, hopefully further uh, elaborate on what you're talking about, The um, well, in the Melchizedek, um, gosh, I would say the appearance, uh, referring to uh, Genesis chapter 18, okay. where uh, uh, Abraham has already had a visitation from the Lord, but now he, he looks up and, lo, there are three strangers. And they, you know, Abraham sets out meat for them, and they sit and they talk. And, of course, these men begin to tell Abraham, well, Sarah's going to conceive. And, of course, she's in the tent, and she laughs. And um, the mystery or the golden thread here, as I was raised to understand, was that this was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, as it were, the angel of the Lord, and um, that he appeared and then disappears again and, uh, of course, reappears later on in Scripture. But yeah. it's exciting to hear anybody talk about this. And I think it underscores what you were talking about, that um, Jesus Christ was there from the beginning and actually doing a work. Absolutely. So, um, I'll let you take it from there. And I appreciate and enjoy your show. Thanks, Jane. Really appreciate your comment and call. I hope we learn from it. And that's what it's about. You callers have a lot of information I don't have and insights. Keep searching and looking. Let's go to Marge Ogden, first-time caller. Marge, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hello. Hello, Marge. Oh, I'm watching the television. You gotta you're turn, on there. <laughs> you got to turn it down, Marge. My question is, um, well, first, I uh, am a born-again Mormon also, and I left the church in 1988, and my daughter... She was married in the temple in 1978, and she has had nothing to do with me. Oh. And what I want to know is, is there a ritual in the temple that they take that ostracizes people that leave the church? Because she will not say why. She doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Marge, I'm so sorry. You know what, my friend? We are uh, out of time. But let me just say this. Uh, I don't recall anything in the temple per se that is about ostracizing, but the temple in and of itself ostracizes. I mean, you can't go in unless you're a member of the club and you pay the dues. So right there, your daughter can extrapolate that type of behavior and all these other behaviors that this in, in, inclusiveness, I mean exclusiveness, and, the, and she can apply it to your relationship, which is not right and it's not uh, Christ-like and yet they're always saying they are but they're really not. I'm sorry for that. Come join us next week here on the Heart of the Matter. We're going to talk about pre-existence. See you then. Bye-bye, Mark.